Hi, welcome to All People's Church. We're so happy you're worshiping here with us. Here at All People's, we get rocked by God, get real in relationship, and give away God's love to the world. Before we get started with today's sermon, here are some ways you can get rocked, get real, and give it away. The best way to get real in our church community is by, yes, you guessed it, jumping into one of our groups. We have several different kind of groups that gather all over San Diego County, including college life groups, freedom groups, Spanish speaking groups, and more. Scan the QR code in front of you to see the list of more than 50 groups that are meeting this semester. Our college nights are back. If you're a student in the San Diego area, you are personally invited to worship with us every Wednesday at Moniker Warehouse. Food will be served at 7.30 p.m. before we jump into the rest of the night and a powerful word. If you're new, make sure you head over to our Connect Center, grab a free gift, get plugged into our college community. Trust me, you don't want to miss this if you're a college student. Young adults, our first young adult service of the fall is this Friday right here at church at 6.30 p.m. on September 16 for games, worship, fellowship, a fiery message, and maybe tacos. I'm not saying they're going to be tacos, but I'm also not saying they won't be tacos. So, I don't know. Come and find out. Have you ever wanted to be part of one of our creative productions like Christmas or Commission Conference? Then now is the time to join our creative community. We'll be offering three dances. Hey James, how you doing? I'm, I'm reading. Yeah, three dance workshop after service today from 1.30 to 3 p.m. in the worship center. This creative experience is open to everyone, but they also serve as our auditions as we move into our upcoming creative season. We hope to see you there. That's all for today's announcement. We're so glad you're here with us and we hope you enjoy the rest of the service and God bless you. Good morning. Man, great to be back in here. And let's open the Word of God before we do that. Love to have you at 6.30 on Wednesday night for our first prayer and worship service of the year. And um, this is how we build the church, how we build our lives. We just finished a series on increase, and we're going to pray it in. We're going to pray it in in our individual lives. going to pray it in to the church. It's also our International church plants around the world depend on our prayers, so come and press in in prayer with us. Turn with me in your Bibles to the book of Ruth. We're going to be studying Ruth chapter 1 today as we begin this relationship series. And to get us started, I thought, okay, what is the world saying about relationships? And I found some really encouraging one-liners that the world had to say on the internet. So here we go. Number one, someone said, oh boy. Um, number one about relationships. I avoid relationships because it's too exhausting to crop all those photos when things don't work out. Number two, life is a series of failed relationships until you meet that person you want to have a failed relationship with for the rest of your life. <laughs> bad, bad relationships are like genes you hold on to hoping they'll fit once again someday. 
<laughs> I like this one. I saw a couple holding hands while jogging, and it made me hopeful that one day I will meet someone who will hate them with me. Uh, the smell of McDonald's in your car will last longer than some of your relationships. And this was my favorite one. Relationships are like marathons, which are also stupid. <laughs> so you can tell that the world is very hopeful when it comes to relationships. No, in fact, many people have very pessimistic views. And that is the point of this series is because our goal is that we would understand God's ways in relationships so that we might rightly align ourselves to receive his promised blessings. Maybe another way to say it is when we do relationships God's ways, we get God's blessings on our relationships. And so that's what we're diving into today. And the question really is about relationships. Where do you learn your operating system? Where do you derive your method for relationships. And so you have to think about that because I want you to honestly take an account of that. Like if you were thinking, how do I do relationships? Where did you get those thoughts from? So for many of us, it is from our family of origin. But the challenge is, is that many of our families were ragers or we were stuffers or we were conflict avoiders or we were overly enmeshed or we were overly independent, and so you find yourself in frustrating relationships. You find yourself going, certainly God had more. Many people get their relationship cues from their own culture. This is a very multicultural church, and you have to start thinking about your culture. What did your culture espouse in values for relationships? Some cultures, the highest value in relationships is honor and shame. It's an honor and shame culture. Uh, for some, it's a very closed off emotional culture. It's more of a stoic culture. For others, the, the, the main thing is it's a sensual culture. Uh, I've read about one culture on earth that the highest value is revenge. Wow, glad we're not in that one. Uh, some, the highest value is making your family look good. Others, the highest value is material success. And so if we take our cues from our culture, we often look very different from what the kingdom culture is. Uh, another place that we take our relationship cues is from our media. We look at movies. But the problem is so many times relationships on, on movies are all about just self-gratification, Romantic relationships are all about hooking up. Uh, family relationships it can be more about these horrible messes that just make people laugh. And so we find ourselves falling short. Sometimes we get our relational cues from our generation. But it's interesting how much relationships even change the way that relationships are done or what is valued. So I think about my grandparents' generation, and they always talked about the highest value was keeping your word. Think, wow, how different that is than today. Think about my generation. My generation was the friends generation, the say by the bell generation. It seemed like the highest value was to have a little set group of friends that met in the same place every week. And then you think about this generation, and many people say the highest value in relationships is you being free to express yourself in however you feel. And so even the values of how to do relationships changes. And so we want to go to the timeless truths of God's word 
today. So I want to look at often an unlooked book of the Bible, which is the book of Ruth. And if you'll turn with me to chapter one, we're going to dive in and see some amazing things that God outlines in this very interesting short book. It says this, in the days when the judges ruled, there was a famine in the land. So a man from Bethlehem and Judah, together with his wife and his two sons, went to live for a while in the country of Moab. The man's name was Elimelech, his wife's name was Naomi, and the names of his sons were Malon and Kilian. They were Epaphrathites from Bethlehem and Judah, and they went to Moab and lived there. Now Elimelech, Naomi's husband, died, and she was left with her two sons. They married Moabite women, one named Orpah and the other named Ruth, and they lived there about 10 years, but Malon and Kilian also died, and Naomi was left without her two sons and her husband. So I've named this first installment of the Relational Wealth Series, Friends in Low Places. This, this message today is called Friends in Low Places because what you're going to see is that you don't have to come from a good place to have healthy relationships. You don't have to come from relational health. You don't have to come from the right city or the right family to have healthy relationships. It's certainly not what we see in this story. So point number one, always ask you to take notes. Point number one, relational success is not dependent on the hand that life dealt you. Relational success is not dependent on the hand that life dealt you. Because I know when we start talking about relationships, you think, man, I hope I might get something, but man, my family's a mess, my culture's a mess, where I came from was a mess, my school was a mess, my job's a mess, and so there's really no hope for me. I wanna tell you, as you look at this scripture, you're gonna find that you can be a friend from a low place. It starts with this, it says, in the days when the judges ruled, as we look at that phrase, it's over and over in this one segment of history in ancient Israel, and it's typified by this phrase, when in the days that the judges ruled, everyone did as he pleased, or everyone did what they thought was best. It wasn't a time where people feared God. It was a time where everyone just did what they felt. Sounds awful lot like 2022, doesn't it? So even though this is an ancient book, we can totally relate to what was going on in the time. And what you're gonna find is this story is about a couple of women who were in a bad place. There was a famine, and so they moved as refugees. We have numerous people that have come to this country in this church because there were famines or there were plagues or there were wars in their country, so they're refugees. And then they're plagued with death. Naomi's husband dies, then her sons die. They're just in a very bad place. But what we don't think of, because oftentimes we think of, of Ruth and this story is this lovely romance story, and we think of Ruth as this pure person, but this story is about a Moabite, a Moabite. So if you're taking notes, write down Moabite. Do you know where the people group of the Moabites came from? Okay, you think you have it bad from, from your family. Listen to where the Moabites came from. The Moabites came from a guy named Moab, shocker. Moab, who was Moab? Moab was the son of Lot. Okay, you remember Lot? Like Abraham was the hero in the story. Lot kind of went his own way. But you know, Lot lost his wife, and so he finds himself hiding out in a cave with his daughters. And he doesn't have a wife anymore, and so what do his daughters do? They come up with this stupid plan to get Lot drunk and to sleep with him. And so the plan works, 
the daughter gets pregnant and she has a son named Moab. The whole Moabite community, the whole Moabite clan came from drunkenness and incest. And this is who we're going to find, the family that this hero, this, this woman who will have a huge impact on earth came from. Can I just tell you, you don't have to come from a good place to have healthy relationships. You don't have to come from a good place to have God get a hold of your life. You might not feel like you're winning today. You might not feel like your people are winning today. You might not feel like Christians, or you might not feel like your family is a great family, but God can get a hold of you if you align yourself with his word. Let's keep reading verse six. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come. Listen to that one more time. When Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughter-in-laws prepared to return home from there. With her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living and set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. Here's what you have to understand. Naomi and Elimelech were the people of God. They were called to go to a promised land. But what happens is they get fearful and they take a detour and they go to the wrong land. They go to the land of Moab. But when she hears that God's moving, she goes back and goes back on the Lord's path. Okay, you might have fallen far from God's path. It might have led to all kind of brokenness. Can I just tell you, it's never too late to turn back around. And I love, let me ask you this question today. Uh, because Naomi was in a bad place. She was in the wrong country. She had lost her husband. She had lost her sons. But what the Bible says is she heard that the Lord was moving. Let me ask you today, are you a worldly pessimist or a godly optimist? Who are you listening to? Are you listening to the world's report or are you listening to God's report? Because everything was going wrong for Naomi, but yet she had ears to hear. Do you have ears to hear the word of the Lord today? Because the Bible says I have plans for you, to prosper you, not to harm you, to give you hope and a future. No matter how bad it is, God has a plan for your life. Are you a worldly pessimist? It's easy to look at the world and to be a doomsday prophet, say, man, the world's going to hell in a handbasket, but do you have ears to hear what God is doing? Because God is always doing something. He knows the plans he has for you, and he wants to reveal them to you today. Let me ask you this question, maybe in this way. Do you have more faith in the goodness of God or the badness of the world? I want to have faith in the goodness of God. That brings me to point number two. Pain can either harden you, pain can either harden you, or it can make you desperate to hear God. Pain can either harden you or it can make you desperate to hear God. You know, we, we all had friends in 2019 and 2020 that would, said they were believers and they ended up walking away from the Lord, right? They ended up, they ended up walking away. And my, my point is not to condemn them. My point is to say all of us at some point in our lives have troubling times. We'll all have challenges and we have to make a decision at that time. Am I gonna harden my heart or am I going to focus on hearing? Am I going to harden or am I going to hear? Because God wants to speak to you. I believe God wants to speak to you even today secrets about relationships. Those challenges in your marriage, those challenges in your parental relationships, those challenges with your kids, those challenges with your neighbors. I want to tell you, God wants to give you keys and tell you where to go just like he told 
Naomi, just like he told Ruth. Uh, I think a lot about what kind of an old person I want to be. Okay. We have some great older people in this church. Okay. I think about a lot about what do I want to be like when I'm 80 or 90. Like my, my relatives all live into their 90s. So I think like, what, what kind of old bald man am I going to be? And, and, and um, I, I think about some different older people that we've had the experience of living next to. I remember uh, one woman we lived next to that we pulled up, uh, you know, we, we parked, we had to park in front of our house, one of our neighbors, and we're getting out of the car, and my kids are six, four, two, and a baby. And my kids step out of the car, and she comes running out of her house yelling at us, get off my grass. Can you imagine being a four-year-old? And an old, scary woman yelling at you to get off her grass. And so I, I went up to her, and, and I, I was acted Christian. I was like, ma'am, um, they're, they're just kids, and we're just trying to get to the sidewalk. And she's like, I don't care. You're stepping on my grass. I'm like, gosh, ma'am, this is crazy. Uh, and, and what I found out is everyone in our neighborhood tried to avoid her. And, they, and they, they, she, she just spewed bitterness. Now, I had the, the chance to live next to another woman, Mrs. Carlson. Oh, just her name, Mrs. Carlson. Um, and and I, I remember I was, uh, we were younger, and I was walking around the neighborhood with my head down. I was discouraged because we were having to move. And she saw me, and she said, hey, pick that head up. And, and I ended up telling her I was having to move. And it turns out she goes, well, my husband and I uh, bought the house next door. And, and, and we'd love to have you guys come and live next door. And, and so, so we end up living next door to her, and she was this, this older woman, come to find out her husband was dying of Alzheimer's, and yet she chose a joyful attitude. I'll never forget the day. Steph and I were sleeping in, and I hear this rumbling outside. And I'm like, oh, what is that? And I look out the window. Miss Carlson was like 100 pounds. She was tiny, and... She was moving, and, and Steph and I, I don't know why, we've always generated tons of trash. And so our trash can is like brimming over. It was probably 200 pounds, and little Miss Carlson was like, like walking my trash can to the street, and I, I run outside. I'm like, I'm going to kill her. I feel horrible. I'm like, Miss Carlson, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, I'm, you, you forgot your trash. I'm like, I'm, no, but you don't need to do it. She's like, it's my pleasure, Robert. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, you're my trash angel. <laughs> By being that way, we became family with Miss Carlson, not just me and Steph, and, and, but, but my, my parents and my sisters. And she inherited a whole new family. No, you, you, you. Reap what you sow in relationship. We'll get more to that in a moment. Then Naomi said to her two daughters-in-law, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown. Did I already read 6 and 7 when Naomi heard Moab, the, the aid of his people, providing food for them? With her two daughters, she left the place where she'd been living, said, on the road. Yes, I read that. That's very important for you to know because Naomi and her two daughters were heading off, okay, so they were going to go with her, and then she looks at her two daughters-in-law and says, go back, each of you, to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness as you have shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant the 
each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. Then she kissed them goodbye, and they wept aloud and said to her, we will go back with you to your people. Now, people don't think of the book of Ruth being a book of miracles. But this is one of the greatest miracles in the Bible, that women are weeping about moving away from their mother-in-law. Like, there, <laughs> there's whole genres of mother-in-law jokes. And they're weeping about leaving their mother. This is, just, this is profound. Um, ma, ma, what do you see? People say misery loves company. People say, you know, when you're miserable, you love people to suffer with you. And, and Ruth's daughter-in-laws are going with her back into Israel. And she turns and has this moment where she's like, you know what? That's not best for you. That's not best for you. That's point three. A key to loyal relationships is looking first to the interests of others. I was so convicted by, by looking at this. Because Naomi has a very different operating system than the system of the world. Like she actually stops. That she was in a, in a desperate place. There's no one more desperate than a widow in, in ancient times because women could not work and they could not have an inheritance. And so her, her only hope really was these two young women who were young enough to go out and, and, and glean and go out and beg, and we'll see that later. And instead of that, she's like, but this isn't best for you. Let me ask you, older people, because I, I, I would love, we love it when young people, you, you, you meet older people, and, and so many of the older people in this church, they're here because they love how many young people are in this church. And we want to be around young people, and you want them to love you, and you want them to honor you. How did Naomi get that? It's because she sowed in interest in the young. She sowed interest into someone else. What was best for them? And she did it in three ways. Let me, let me show you three ways to look to the interests of others. First of all, she was a releasing person. Okay, she was a releasing person. Are you a releasing person? I want to be a releasing person. It's hard to be a releasing person. The world tells us to control people. The world tells us to manipulate people. The world tells us to tell people what we want them to do. But instead, she's like, go back. I, I, I'll, I'll, I'll never forget when I sat my mother down. My mother's name is Ruth, by the way, so perfect for this, this series we're on. I sat my mother down. My mother growing up, her desire was just to be a mom, and she always said, my greatest desire is to have a close family. And imagine how hard it was when I sat my mother down and said, Stephanie and I are called, so we lived in, uh, my mother's from Austin, Texas, Round Rock, Texas, Central Texas, four generations, we had all lived there, and I sat down and I said, the Lord has called us to plant a church in San Diego, California. Okay, that is the furthest west city you can move from Round Rock, Texas, right? Now on the continental United States. Uh, what did she do? She cried. She cried. She said, I was so sad. But then she said, I cannot, out of my love for you, block the will of God for your life. She goes, far be it from me to stop you from doing the will of God. She released me. That's what Naomi was doing for Ruth. She's like, hey, I, I, I can't stop you from what's best for you. And then the second thing she did was she blessed her. She actually 
blesses and, and actually prays for her. She's like, may you find rest in the house of a new husband. Like, she had lost her son. I mean, how, how painful was that? And she's saying, I, and can you imagine, you know, your, your daughter-in-law, and you're like, I want you to go find someone else. I actually bless you, and I actually pray, may the Lord bless you with that way. I, I, I was so grateful that my, my mom prayed for me. Instead of just getting bitter, Right? She, she, she blessed me and said, I release you, but then she prayed for me. And it was interesting because then God spoke to her a promise for me. And, and he said that my moving would actually bring great health to me. I would be healthier than I'd ever been before. Now, what I didn't know is that I was moving to one of the places that people move on earth to get free from allergies. And I had grown up with the worst allergies possible. I'd had allergy shots every week of my life. I was always sick. I always had sinus infections. I was, I was living in a patch of cedar trees and pollen fields. And what happened? I moved here, and I, it wasn't my point. I just trying to follow the Lord. But God bless me. I'm so healthy all the time. What parents... We need to be parents that bless, and we need to pray and ask God, God, what are you doing? That's how we want to be as an older generation. That's how we want to be with our friends. So many times, your friends will come and tell you something that you don't want them to tell you. I mean, this happens in this church all the time. You, get, you finally get a best friend, and they're like, I'm going to plant a church in Tajikistan. <laughs> you're like, what the heck, right? I finally found the peanut butter in my jelly, and you're going to Tajikistan, right? And what we, we need to release, and we need to bless, and we need to pray for them and ask God what, what he's doing in their life. And then thirdly, how, how are we people that look to the interests of others? Be affectionate. It says she actually, she hugs them, and it, she says it, she kissed them, and they wept out loud. I, I told you guys earlier this, this, uh, this summer I was in, in Mexico and this, this pastor we were with, I was so impacted on his fatherly affection for people. He was like, the, the church needs fatherly and motherly affection. And you need people who will, in complete purity and holiness, lay a hand on someone's shoulder, put an arm around someone. I, I'm, I'm so thankful. Some of you guys grew up in, in very affectionate homes. Some of you grew up affection-starved. And let me just tell you, it doesn't matter what your family background was like. You want godly affection to flow from you. I'm so thankful. My, my dad grew up with a stoic German fa father. So my, my grandfather was massive. He was like 6'5", 250, and, and he looked like this big teddy bear you'd want to go up and, and wrap around. I remember my little twin sisters running up to him, and he went, stuck out his hand to shake their hand. The little, little four-year-old, like, what are you? But somehow, when my dad got saved, okay, and, and, and some of you, you know, you hear stories like I'm telling about my family, and you're like, well, yeah, of course you can, you can teach on healthy relationships because you saw it in your family. No, let me tell you, God is calling you to be the transformation generation because that's what my dad was. My dad didn't see that, that affection, but what, what, once he got the Bible in him and the gospel in him and the love of God in him, he became very affectionate. So the son of a colonel in the army that shook hands with his granddaughters 
all of a sudden he became an affectionate man. I am so thankful my dad would wrap me up. Even this, he, he was here last weekend. He's kissing me on the cheek at 47, right? My scratchy cheeks. And I'm so thankful for that. And that's what I want to do to my ch- I want to give that to my children. I wrap up my sweaty, big, scruffy football player boys and I kiss them. Okay? We need holy, pure, godly affection. Parents, give it in a holy, pure way to your kids. Spiritual parents, put an arm around someone. Touch them. I'm, I'm, I'm only, I'm not talking, don't be weird, don't be, but in a, in a pure way, right? We need to know, that's, that's why the Bible talks about laying on of hands. Have you ever had someone lay on of hands and pray for you? You, just, you feel their heart with you. But Naomi, but Naomi said, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return, my daughters. I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and they gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? This is kind of strange. Um, would you remain unmarried for them? No. Uh, no, my daughters, it's more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. At this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her. Look, said Naomi, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. I love this. This is like the most, one of the most famous verses about loyalty and friendship in the Bible. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. This is one of the most beautiful signs, pictures, displays of loyalty in the scripture. There was a supernatural calling that Ruth felt to Naomi. And that's what I'm praying for in the body of Christ. In this day of disposable relationships, in this day of fair-weathered friends, in this day of of fair-weathered fans, that there would be people who say, I'm committed. I'm committed to Jesus. I'm committed to the church. Yeah, it might have challenges. It might have warts and blemishes. I might have even gotten hurt, but I'm committed to the people of God. I'm committed to relationships. I'm committed to my parents. I'm committed to my spouse. I'm committed to my kids. I'm committed to my friend. I'm committed to my friend group. I'm committed to my small group. Could God do what he did in Ruth? Could he do it in us? But let me tell you, it has to come from a a, a generation changer like Naomi, because she saw something in Naomi. She saw that Naomi loved her. She saw that Naomi heard God, right? And, 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 and so much so that she didn't just decide to change her location, she decided to change her gods. Could it be that the way you live your life loyally, the way you live your life with interests of others, the way you live your life releasing and blessing and showing affection could be the very thing that lets someone see Jesus and change their faith. 
I believe it could. Your God should be my God. Lastly, let me just encourage you with point four. We reap what we sow in relationships. We reap what we sow in relationships. That's why I called it friends in low places. Man, Naomi was in a low place. She had become a refugee. She had lost her husband. She had lost her sons. And yet, she sowed love. She sowed love. And what does she end up reaping? She ends up reaping faithfulness from the younger generation. Man, I'm not the perfect dad. I'm not the perfect friend. I'm not the perfect husband. I'm not the perfect spiritual father. But I so pray that I'd keep sowing faithfulness, that I'd keep sowing loyalty, that I'd keep serving love so that someday people would be like Ruth to me. Like, I'm going with you. I'm sticking with you. I'm going to go. And that's what happened is Ruth saw something in Naomi that changed her whole life. And it changed your life. Did you know that Ruth, this Moabite, this woman from a, a scandalous people group who lost her husband, probably about 26 to 28 years old, do you know that she would be the grandmother of the greatest king in Israel's history. And she would be, they would be the descendants of your king, of King Jesus. You see, God can use anyone who puts in place his ways for relationships. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. Why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. And you might think, man, I wish I could be like Naomi. I wish I could be that awesome. Actually, do you see that Naomi sees things wrongly? Like she's only seeing, she's, she's somehow, can, can we be these kind of, people that feel like life is bitter and yet blessing comes out of us? Like what happens when you're squeezed? Does bitterness come out of you? Like Naomi's like, my life is bitter. She thinks that God has forsaken her. She doesn't know the end of this book. She doesn't even know the end of her own book, the book of Ruth. She doesn't know what's gonna happen in five chapters. But still blessing is coming out of her. And did you see that last phrase? arriving in Bethlehem. She had gone in a place of famine, but Bethlehem means the house of bread. She comes back to the house of bread, and what does it say? Arriving in Bethlehem as the harvest was beginning. When you choose to honor the Lord, when you choose to hear him and obey, when you choose to sow into other people, the Bible promises you will reap a harvest. So don't go tired in doing good because in the proper time, you will reap a harvest. God has a harvest for you in relationships. Let's put his word into practice. Why don't we stand up?